Thanks, Steve and worship team. Man, that was a beautiful song to lead into the message this morning. And just before I start the message, I just, I just want to just send up a brief thanks to our visual media and sound team. Um, you know, yeah, if, if we had people in the, in the sanctuary, we would hear lots of clap, claps right now. In fact, if, if, you, uh, on, if you're at home and you have your device on you right now, maybe you can send in some clappy, clappy uh, emojis or some heart emojis for the visual media team and the sound team. Uh, that we have five guys right now. We wouldn't, we wouldn't normally have five guys in an in a in-person service. Uh, but we have five guys running the show upstairs, and uh, they also, with, with, with the new technology, requires more people to do it, and it requires them to be here more often, so they get very little breaks. And so, guys, we love you. Uh, thank you so much for um, making sure all the slides work and the cameras work and the sound works. You guys rock, so thank you, guys. And if you guys can express your appreciation on the chat, too, that would be awesome. And by the way, if there is someone else out there who maybe feels gifted with soundboards, with buttons, with uh, computers. <laughs> that is not my gift. It is not my gift, but I know it's someone else's. And if there's someone else out there who wants to use their gift that maybe we're just not aware of, please contact us. And I'm sure the team would, would love to, uh, to hear about that. Well, I'd like to share, start my message today with a story that, uh, you know, I think will appeal to, I hope will appeal to children, or at least those who are kids at heart. So let me start by saying this. Once upon a time, there was a boy uh, a boy who lived a, at home with a loving family, and his favorite food was pickles. And uh, his fridge, uh, because he lived in a loving family who knew he loved pickles, was always full of pickles. And he loved toy cars, and his uh, room had tons of toy cars in them. But one day he kind of, you know, he went outside, he got a little bored with life, and he looked up into the sky, and he saw a bird. And he thought to himself, oh, I'm so bored with life. I bet you if I could fly, if I could fly, I'd be happy. I'd finally be happy in life. And so that very night, he went to bed. He woke up, and the next day, he turned into a bird. And so he, he jumped out of his room and out the door and went flying into the sky around the trees, over his house, uh, around buildings. He got to fly over his school. He went and flew on top of a mountain and through the clouds, and he was so happy until a few hours had passed, and then he got bored again. And he thought to himself, you know what? I can only fly so high as a bird. You know what? I wish I could be a rocket ship. If I could be a rocket ship, then I'd be happy. Well, that night he found a branch to, to sleep on, and he went to bed, and the next morning he woke up, and guess what? He became a rocket ship, and he was so excited. He counted down, three, two, one, and he took off through the sky, over the mountains, through the, through the clouds, out of the ozone layer. He, he flew around uh, Saturn and Jupiter and all the stars and the sun and the galaxies, and he was racing the comets, comets, and he had such a great time, but eventually he got bored. He kept on seeing the same kind of stuff over and over again. He, he started twiddling his thumbs, and he saw the sun, and he noticed how big and beautiful and powerful it was and how people on Earth needed it. He thought to himself, if I could just become the sun, and everyone would see how awesome I am, and I'd be so fulfilled with helping people out with being the sun. And, well, that night he went to bed, he woke up, and the next morning he woke up, and he was the sun, and he was so excited about how big and powerful and strong he was. 
But over time, as you can imagine, he got, he got bored of that, and he actually started to complain. He started to complain about how hot he was and how much he was sweating. And he's like, oh, my goodness, I need to cool down. If only I was something colder. And as he looked on planet Earth, he saw the snow. He's like, oh, I need to be the snow. Snow is so majestic and beautiful. You can build snowmen with it. I want to be the snow. And so that night he went to bed. He woke up, and he was the snow. And uh, you can imagine what happened. He enjoyed it for a while, but then got bored. And he started complaining about, how, complaining about how cold he was. And then he wished, as he saw a bear, that he would turn into a bear. And that night he turned into a bear. Or, or the next morning he turned into a bear when he woke up. And he enjoyed his freedom. He enjoyed exploring the forest and the trees and the snow and the fish. But after a while he got bored and he had seen enough. And he thought to himself, oh my goodness, you know what? I had such a nice adventure, but, but I... Just, I'm not happy with any of the things that I turned into. What I really miss is I really miss being with my family. I miss my pickles that are in the fridge, and I miss my toy cars. And so that very night, he went to bed, he woke up, and guess what? He turned back into a boy. And when he woke up, he actually realized that the, that, that entire adventure was just a dream. But he learned an important lesson. He learned to be content in the circumstances that God gives you. Because changing your circumstances doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be content and happy in this life. And so that was a really important lesson of contentment that, that he learned. And so today I want to talk about contentment as we continue on in the book of Philippians where we left off last week. And contentment is a very, very special thing. It's a very important thing. <clears throat> contentment it means to be pleased or to be willing in, in Scripture. But primarily, I think for our purposes today, it means to be satisfied just to be satisfied with where you're at, be content. And we'll talk about more about that in a, in a second. But contentment is extremely important, particularly with what we're going through right now in our world. Um, COVID is a difficult thing that people are going through right now, and people are, are, are going through a difficult time. And so it's important for us to find, talk about contentment and how we can find it. Another thing's coming up in a few days, well, not a few days, five days or whatever, uh, five days, Christmas is coming up, and some people are going to be getting gifts, um, some are going to be uh, getting, getting gifts, maybe some will, will, won't be getting certain things they want, and our contentment is going to be challenged, all right? Um, uh, some people are going to start griping about some of the things they get or some of the things they don't get or, or some of the circumstances they, they wish they were involved in and maybe are not or, or whatever, and so some of us out there might be struggling with contentment this Christmas. Well, this passage we're going to jump into is, is, is in the book of Philippians. It's Philippians chapter 4. And just to give you a little bit of context behind, again, uh, the book of Philippians, we were in it last week. But uh, the book of Philippians was written by a guy by the name of Paul, uh, Paul the Apostle. And uh, ironically, Paul was writing this, uh, this letter uh, to the church in Philippi, the Philippians. Uh, he was writing it from prison. And Paul had experienced all sorts of persecution in life, which we'll talk about later. But he was writing this letter from prison. And ironically, uh, you know, even though he was writing in these miserable circumstances, what we would consider miserable, this, this was a book where Paul was challenging the Philippians to be full of joy and full of contentment in, in this passage. Last week, uh, Paul, where we talked, we, we, uh, we read a few, uh, a few verses earlier where he told the Philippians to be full of joy, to not worry about anything, to, to pray about everything, to thank God for, for all he has done. And, um, and now in this passage, he's continuing on with that idea and talking about contentment, how we can have contentment in, in Christ. 
And in this particular passage, I'm going to read this in a second here, but this particular passage now, Paul is talking to the Philippians and he's just acknowledging that they had given him some kind of a financial gift to help him while he was in prison and he was thanking them for that. And so now we're going to open up our, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, great. If you don't have your Bible with you, by the way, there, there should be a tab on the online screen where you, that you can select and read along with us if you like. We also will probably have the, um, our wonderful visual media team will likely have the, the, the scripture displayed as well on the, on the screen before you. But the text is Philippians 4, verse 11 to 13. So let's go ahead and read that. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am, I am in need, talking about the gift that they gave him. For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Contentment. Contentment is very, very important. You know, I think contentment, so, so Paul here is saying that he, he, he's, he's content regardless of whatever comes his way, whether miserable or happy circumstances come his way. And I think contentment, the contentment that God gives is kind of like a superpower. If I had the choice of being content in my circumstances or, or, or being able to choose whatever circumstance I wanted and not finding contentment, I'd rather have contentment. It's a very special gift to have, to be satisfied and content in the Lord. It's actually a gift, I believe, from the Lord. But let me just go back and talk about Paul's story a little more. And, um, you know, and just to get, up and get an appreciation where, where Paul's coming from and some of the things that he went through. There's another passage in Scripture in uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And he's explaining, he's trying to defend his apostleship. And he's explaining some of the things he went through uh, to prove that uh, he was legit, uh, so to speak. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 11, I'll kind of summarize it and read parts of it, I guess. He's, he's, um, he, he's saying that he's been in prison more frequently than some of the others. He's been flogged more severely. He's been exposed to, to death again and again. If you don't know what flogging is, it's being whipped. He's, he's been whipped for the sake of Christ uh, on multiple occasions. Uh, he's, he's been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Uh, it's where you get whipped on the back 39 times, which would have been brutal. Three times I was beaten with rods. Uh, that, that would have been miserable. Once I was pelted with stones, and, and at that occasion, the people who pelted with him with stones, they were intending to kill him. They thought he was dead, and they dragged him out of the, out of the city, and they left him for dead. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. Uh, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers of bandits, in danger of bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the pressure, the daily, uh, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And uh, somewhere in there, uh, Paul was involved in riots as well. People who were rioting because of him and because of him sharing the gospel. Paul's life was full of very, very difficult circumstances. You might say miserable circumstances. Now, Paul 
from a human perspective, had good reason to be miserable, to not be content in his circumstances because he lived through very poor circumstances. But yet in this passage in Philippians, he's telling us to be full of, well, the previous passage, to be full of joy. And in this passage, to be content, to find your contentment in the Lord. Where in the world did this contentment come from? I mean, did Paul read some kind of a self-help book or some, did he, did he come in contact with some motivational speaker? Uh, where did this contentment come from? Well, if we rewind in the book of Philippians just a little bit, just a few verses in the previous chapter, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He had his eyes focused on Jesus and focused on eternity. Verse 20 and 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And so Paul was content because his eyes were fixed on Jesus. He knew that his real life, his citizenship was in heaven. He knew that even if these miserable circumstances would lead to his death, that you, you never really die in Christ, that you have eternal life with him, that you will receive a resurrected, glorified body with Christ. He realized that ultimately that Jesus is in control regardless of whatever circumstances come his way. And there's a, there's a reason behind every circumstance. And so Paul had this contentment because of Christ. Paul was content in his circumstance because of Christ. And in the same way, we can have contentment in our circumstances, whatever they are, because of Christ. Contentment, I believe, is, is rooted. It's not just necessarily something we just kind of uh, choose in our own minds. I mean, it is a choice, but it's rooted in trusting God, uh, trusting Christ, trusting what he's done for us, what he's doing for us, and trusting in the fact that he loves us. I love the song that we just sang, actually. Uh, Jesus loves me. There's a, just a uh, this I know for the Bible tells me so. What a perfectly beautiful song to lead into this message. Because as we see the circumstances of life, some good, some bad, uh, if we remember that Christ loves us, we know that we can just simply trust in him with whatever we're going through. And so contentment, I, I, I believe, is, is really an act of faith. It's an act of faith that says, you know what? I don't know why I'm going through these circumstances, but I'm going to trust that God is doing it for my benefit and for the benefit of those around me. But I want to just talk about a couple of things here in this passage. Uh, Paul, he said, if I were to go back to verse 12 here, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. It's interesting here that Paul highlights the need to have contentment in both bad circumstances and ironically, even having contentment in good circumstances. And so we're going to talk about those two things um, as we continue here. So first, let me talk about how we can have contentment in uh, what we would consider bad circumstances. And just, I just want to share a few stories that come to mind, which, which I think will help us uh, understand why we can have contentment in bad circumstances. And, or, you know, what we would say miserable circumstances. Uh, the story of Joseph comes to mind. Joseph, is, uh, his story can be found in the Old Testament, the end of Genesis. Uh, Joseph is born into a large family, and uh, his dad, is, his name is Jacob, um, or Israel. 
And uh, Joseph is Jacob's favorite, and the brothers are jealous. Joseph has this dream which makes the brothers more jealous and kind of ticked off of Joseph. So it results in the brothers selling Joseph uh, into slavery. And while Joseph is sold as a slave and on his way to Egypt, the brothers go to the dad and lie to the dad and say that Joseph's been killed by some wild animal. And so Joseph is not able to say goodbye to his dad. He's probably thinking, I'll never, ever be able to see my family again for the rest of my life. Well, Joseph, he goes to Egypt. He's a smart guy, so he gets promoted, and he's working for a guy by the name of Potiphar, an Egyptian official, and he is blessed. God is helping him, but his Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with Joseph. And, uh, and eventually, long story short, she, 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 she frames him, or she, she, she gets him in trouble because she's suggesting to, to the others that, that Joseph wanted to take advantage of her. Well, she, he wanted to rape her, basically. And uh, he's, he's wrongly accused. He's thrown in prison. He's in prison for a couple of years. And in that circumstance that he had, he had, from a humorous perspective, every right to be miserable. And I don't really know exactly what was going on through his mind and his heart, but you can imagine being in prison, being falsely accused, being sold as a slave by your brothers, your own flesh and blood, the, the fact that you're never going to be able to see your parents again, your family again, that would have been brutal. That would have been miserable. But if you read the rest of the story, God used Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dream, which uh, then caused him to be promoted to basically to rule over all of Egypt because Pharaoh saw that Joseph was a man of wisdom and that God was with him. And because Joseph was in charge and Joseph knew that because God told him that a famine was going to come, he was able to prepare for that and not only save the nation of Egypt, but the surrounding nations and also his family too, because his family had to come to Egypt uh, to be to be saved, and he and he was able to uh, uh, see his father again, his family, and get acquainted with his his brothers again, which was a beautiful thing. And when his father died, the brothers were scared out of their minds because they thought Joseph was going to get revenge on them. And, and Joseph reassured them; he forgave them. And he said, "Listen, what what God God intended for good, what you intended for harm." And so in, in, this, in the story of, of Joseph's life, Joseph certainly went through some miserable circumstances. But as we take a step back, and as Joseph took a, took a step back and looked at his life and looked at the circumstances of his life, he realized that God was allowing these circumstances to take place. He was orchestrating these events for a greater purpose. And Joseph, at the end of his life, came to trust that. And, and God, God allowed these miserable circumstances to take place in Joseph's life so that he could save the nations, Egypt, the surrounding nations, the people of Israel. God had a bigger plan um, in place. But as I reflect on this a little bit more, I think God wasn't just concerned about the nations, but he was concerned about Joseph's own soul, his heart. Could you imagine if Joseph went straight from living in his father's home straight to being the ruler of Egypt? You know, he potentially would have been full of himself. He would have thought to himself, oh, look how great I am. Look how smart I am. <laughs> uh, and maybe he would have been full of himself. And maybe he wouldn't have recognized his need for God. But because of the circumstances that Joseph went through, it not only blessed the nations, but it also probably put Joseph in a place where he learned to have dependence and trust in God. There's another uh, story that comes to mind, not in scripture, but uh, a kind of a parallel story that I see in our day and age right now. And I'm not sure if anyone out there has seen the movie the, or the, the film, the, which was called The Chosen, which is a, a, a film uh, based on just sharing the, the, 
basically the life of Jesus. It's an absolutely beautiful, stunning uh, film and uh, videos. And you should, you, if you haven't seen them, you should really, really watch them. They're absolutely amazing. Highly recommend them. But anyways, I've been watching some of the bonus footage and the testimony of the director really uh, was, was just so encouraging that, that I wanted to share, with, share it because I think it kind of connects to the Joseph story as well. Prior to this director, I can't remember his name, uh, but prior to this director uh, directing The Chosen, he was involved in another project, which, uh, to make a long story short, it failed. It was, it was a bomb. It was a bust. And uh, when that project failed, he felt like he was at the lowest point of his career, that he was kind of questioning whether he was going to be a director again or you know, what his future looked like. And through different messages from the Lord, he just kind of felt called to just, just keep on moving forward. Well, one thing led to another, and it led to the creation of what we now know today as The Chosen, which last time I checked has reached uh, 70 million plus viewers looking at the life of Jesus. And I love his testimony because he says, you know, uh, God brought me to a point of failure, and then he brought me to, to produce The Chosen thing, and, and the circumstances uh, of that, that God allowed in my life to get me to the place where I could produce the, the chosen or direct the chosen were, were miraculous. They were God ordained. And I love the fact that he said something to this effect. He said, no matter how successful this series gets, potentially, I know without a shadow of a doubt that it would have had nothing to do with me. I can see how God was just orchestrating certain relationships and certain connections and certain ways that we've been doing this, that this whole thing has been uh, God's plan right from the start. And he brought me to a place where I had to trust in him and put my faith in him in the midst of my miserable circumstances. And, and this director, he was sharing as I watched his testimony that he was experiencing this supernatural joy and this contentment, even in the midst of not knowing what the next part of the story or the next chapter of his life was, kind of leading into the chosen. Absolutely amazing testimony. And I kind of wonder if anyone out there is, you know, maybe there's someone out there who's experiencing, I don't know, failure in their career or some leadership issue or something. And you're kind of wondering, what in the world is God up to? Why is God allowing these circumstances in my life? What's going on? And I want to say to you, there's hope. There's hope because we serve a good God who loves us, who is in control, who, uh, who allows circumstances for a reason, difficult ones for a reason. And, and he does these things not just for the sake of others, but for the sake of molding our hearts, for the sake of, of, of understanding um, that we need uh, Christ to help us realize our need for him. And so whatever difficult or miserable circumstances we go through, we need to trust that God's in control, that he loves us. That, that he's, that he's turning out, he's, 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 uh, he's, what, what, you know, he's, he's turning into good what the enemy meant for evil. And as a result of trusting in him, we should, um, that that's where we can find our contentment. Another category where people might struggle is, is with sickness. And I just kind of felt led to just talk about this for, for a moment today. You know, some people get sick or they get ill and, you know, I'm not talking about something that lasts for a few days or a few weeks. Um, I'm not even talking about something that lasts for a few months. Uh, maybe there's someone out there you've been sick for, not, for years, if not decades, and you're struggling. Well, like, God, what, you know, what's, what's going on? Why, why are you allowing me to go through this? Like, why? Well, a story comes to mind in John 9 where Jesus, he's traveling with his disciples and they come across a man who is blind from birth. 
And, uh, and this was a man. So this guy would have been maybe 20, 30 years old, I'm guessing, something like that. And the disciples and Jesus, they're traveling, and they notice the man, and they ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, um, why, why was this man born blind? In other words, was it because of this man's sin that he was born blind, or was it because of his parents' a sin that he was born blind? In other words, God must be punishing because for a reason. And uh, Jesus, he responded by saying something to the effect that he said, you know, uh, no, this, this man was born blind so that the glory of God could be revealed through him, through his story. And then Jesus goes and heals this man who had been born blind. He'd been blind for years, which was amazing. And as a result, not only this man comes to faith in Jesus, but others uh, see this miracle and they come to faith in Jesus as well. And God uses this, this man's story to bring him glory. But I can imagine even prior to that day where this blind man saw Jesus, I can imagine that blind man would have been asking some very, you know, sincere questions. God, why? Why? Why have, have, was I born blind? And are you ever going to heal me? Are you ever going to come through? What's, what's, the, what's, what's the future of my life going to amount to? What are you up to? And he would have been asking probably those difficult questions right up to the day where Jesus came. And let me remind you that uh, they didn't have the same kind of social assistance in their day as we do in ours. And so this, this, this blind man not only would have dealt with the, the fact that he was blind, but he, would have been a, he was a beggar as well. The passage, that story highlights the fact that he was, he was a beggar. He was poor. He was needy. And yet God used his life to bring him glory. And he didn't see that until decades down the road. I think of my grandmother. She's at the end of her life. And she's been struggling for years now. She's got dementia. My father and my aunt are caring for her. God bless them for doing that. Uh, but I wonder to my, you know, I, I've been asking myself the same question. Why, why does God allow some people to just go through a very difficult time at the end of their life? Why? And I don't have the answer. But I can guarantee you that God knows why. And, and God is, uh, maybe he allows that for others, but he also is doing something in the hearts of those who might be caring for, for her as well. I, I wonder what he's doing in the hearts of my, my father and my aunt as they care for her and how he might be developing their character, and maybe uh, their trust in God. I don't know, but I do know that we serve a good God who loves us, a good God who we can put our trust in. And if there's someone else who's struggling right now with sickness or illness, um, you can put your hope in God as well. Uh, you, you never know how God is going to use you. He might, he might, he might heal you in some miraculous way, but maybe, maybe he wants you to go through a difficult time so you can have empathy for those who, who, who might be struggling just like you are. And maybe he's going to use you in some miraculous, glorifying way that he couldn't use anyone else but you because of the circumstances that you went through. Just trust that he is good. Trust that he loves you. And in the midst of your trust, you can find contentment in whatever circumstance comes your way. Uh, another category where people might uh, have a difficult time with is, is uh, maybe their income level. They're, you know, some might consider themselves poor. You know, in my upbringing, I wouldn't consider myself poor necessarily. You know, if, if you're talking to a person in a third world, world country, you might, uh, you might think I was filthy rich growing up. But... In a community that I grew up in, you might say that it's probably, probably would have been fair to say that I wasn't as well-to-do as maybe some of the other families. Didn't have a bad childhood at all, had a good one, but I wasn't as well-to-do as other families and didn't get to do everything. 
which was totally fine. wasn't a big deal to me. But um, I remember at a young age, giving my life to the Lord with my family. And I remember as I got to know the Lord, and as I studied scripture, I'd see these, these passages in scripture where Jesus generally said that it's, you know, the richer you are, the harder it is to follow Christ. And, you know, if, if I were to go back and if I had the power to change my circumstances to maybe make my family more richer, you know, I wouldn't have changed a thing. I, I wouldn't have wanted uh, even one more penny in my life if it, meant, if, if it meant there was a risk that I wouldn't come to faith in Jesus, that I wouldn't trust him. Uh, you know, there, there could have been a time if, if, we, were, if we were more well-to-do that maybe I would have felt that, you know, I was so rich that I didn't need Christ. And I never want to be in a circumstance, a situation where I think I don't need Christ. And so again, whatever your socioeconomic status is, don't find your satisfaction and your contentment in your socioeconomic status, your income level. Uh, Find your contentment in in being in a relationship with Christ and whatever circumstance he brings. Another thing, just one last thing uh, in in this topic of miserable or bad circumstances is the topic of covid so many of us are asking deep questions, why is God allowing this? And all the ripple effects that are happening. There's, there's other health issues that are happening. Some people are losing their jobs and their businesses. Uh, uh, people are having mental health issues. There are people are struggling. And a lot of people are probably asking very deep questions. God, why? Why are you, going, why are you allowing this? When are you going to bring relief? Look, what is going on? And we need to be reminded, again, that God loves us, that uh, he, he is a God that we can put our trust in. There is a reason why God is allowing these events, There's a reason why God is orchestrating these events. And I tend to think that God is allowing this thing we call COVID, uh, I think, to, to help people see their need for God, that this life is so temporary, that we don't have it all together, that we can't depend on ourselves and that we need him. And not just the nations, but us as individuals, hopefully through this experience, we'll see that life is so short and it's fragile and that we all on an individual basis need God. I know that God is doing something in the background. We just need to trust him and find our contentment in trusting in him. But the other thing this passage talks about is not just having, uh, being content in miserable circumstances, but being content in good circumstances. This is actually a very interesting thing to think through. You would think that if you are living in good circumstances, that you would be happy, you would be content. But that's not the case. It's not the case. Uh, Paul highlights being content in good circumstances. A few stories, again, come to mind. I think of David and Bathsheba in the Old Testament, where David, he had made a name for himself, or rather God had made a name for him. He became the ruler of Israel, the king of Israel. Uh, he had incredible military victory, and up in at this point, in the, you know, leading up to this particular story, David again had just conquered a nation, and he sends his military out to go and fight another nation, and he's at home. He's, in, he's experiencing a really good thing. He's got victory. He's the king. He's happy. He's successful, but he's not content deep down inside, and so he goes for a walk. He sees a beautiful woman taking a bath, and he he wants her. Now, he already has plenty of wives at home. He should be content with the wives that God has given him, with, with all the success that he's given him, that the prestige, but he's not. He's not content in his good circumstance. And for those of you who know the story, that results in David having an affair 
with a woman who was married to someone else. He ends up killing the husband. Totally brutal. God does find him out. God punishes him. And it, it, but there's, there's still such a, such a horrible aftermath that happens as a result of that story. But I, I share that story to say that, again, uh, for some reason, uh, David is discontent in a very good circumstance. He's discontent. Uh, we, we, we look around at our life today and we see the same kind of discontent even in good circumstances. So many years ago, I saw this, this video clip of, um, I don't know if it was staged or not, but um, it, 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 it was a show that I guess was following the life of a really, really rich family. And I guess what had happened was the parents had purchased a brand new luxury vehicle for their teenage son, I think it was. And when the son uh, opened up this gift or opened up the keys and the, the car was revealed to him, he was disgusted, he was angry, and I think he threw the keys back at his parents because uh, he was angry with the fact that he did, not get, he did not get this very specific make and model that he had specifically requested. And any uh, person, you know, any, any average uh, middle-class person or even upper-class person would be just appalled at that. You just could, couldn't imagine that, you know, your parents are giving you this beautiful gift and you are disgusted with it. You're not content with what you've been given. You know, the other day, too, uh, the other week, I was watching America's Funniest Home Videos with my family, with my kids. And uh, there's this humorous video, but kind of, you know, sad video of a family that had just been to an all-inclusive resort. They were coming home. And you would think they'd be smiling, they'd be happy with the experience that they just had, but rather their you know, kids were wailing and crying in the background because they had to go back to making their own sandwiches. <laughs> uh, you would think that you just had this beautiful experience, this good experience that you should be content and thankful for, but you weren't. Where does that come from? And you know what it happens to me too. Just the other week, this past week, uh, you know, I was making small talk with some of the neighbors. We had, uh, we had someone on our street that moved out, good for them. And they had, they had gone to a, a location that they were really looking forward to go to for a while and we were happy for them. But of course, that kind of spurs on other conversation about real estate and about housing and, and the market here and the market elsewhere. Oh my goodness, what can you buy elsewhere? When we were joking, uh, my neighbor was joking. He's a wonderful neighbor. He was joking about moving to Alabama where, where you can buy, apparently you can buy 4,000 acres of land with a house on it for under only $120,000. Crazy, crazy. And then you start talking about how maybe the grass is greener on the other side. And I find myself, I found myself starting to grumble about the weather. Oh, it's so gray here and rainy here and and then, you know, and then we start grumbling about maybe some of the things that we have to fix in our own house. Oh, I got to fix this door or that hinge or that fan or whatever. And I, I left that conversation and I was thinking to myself, whoa, whoa, hold on a second, Ryan. Uh, you have a really good thing going here. You live in a, in, in a beautiful place in Canada. You have a beautiful house. And, you know, we, we live in a community where people are bending over backwards to get into a house. We also live in a community where people are bending over backwards, just to never mind owning a house, bending over backwards to find a decent rental unit to live in. I got a good thing going. Why am I grumbling about the rain and the, and the, and the gray and whatever else, uh, you know, uh, frivolous things that we gripe about? It's because when, you know, when we look to our circumstances to find contentment, I guarantee you, you'll, you'll never find that. Contentment is a matter of the heart. Uh, why are we 
why are we discontent in good circumstances? Again, your, your circumstances, they don't bring contentment. Your circumstances will never bring contentment. It's a matter of the heart. It's a state of mind. It's a state of mind before God that you trust in him regardless of your circumstance. Contentment, I said earlier, is rooted in trust. It's rooted in trust that God loves us, that he knows what's best. It's rooted in trust that the fact that my relationship is united with Christ, that I have an eternity ahead of me, that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what difficulty comes to my life, even if it results in death, that Christ is going to give me new life. And my identity, my citizenship is in heaven, where I'm going to receive a new, resurrected, glorified body. And it's also rooted in the fact that God is in control. He's in control and he allows everything for uh, a reason. We can be content in our circumstances, whatever they are, good or bad, because of Christ. This passage ends in verse 13 where it says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I appreciate how the NIV, it seems to have changed the translation because it used to read, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I think people would misquote that verse and say, you know, I can, I can, uh, I can go into an exam, not study, and I can ace it because God's going to give me strength to do it. Uh, you know, things like that. We, we use that verse to misquote it, but this, this verse is really just, just, it's just a follow-up sentence from what Paul was just talking about. He's talking about being content in every circumstance, whether good or bad. And he's saying basically, listen, I can get through anything. I can get through any circumstance Um, because of Christ. I can get through any circumstance, good or bad, whatever God is calling me to, the mission that God has for me, whatever he's calling me through, I can get through it because God is going to be the one that's going to be sustaining me and giving me the strength to endure. And so today I want to encourage you, whatever it is you're going through and whatever it is you will go through, to be content. And, and to trust that God knows best, that he loves you. Accept what God has for you. I want to encourage you today as we you know, enter into Christmas and New Year's and, and 2020, and hopefully 2021 is a better year than 2020. But regardless of what it looks like, um, make sure we find our contentment in Christ. There's nothing better in this life than Christ. I want to close by reading a few passages of Scripture. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. It's so important, no matter what we go through, that we don't keep our eyes on our circumstances, because if we do that, we'll be miserable, whether they're good or bad, because our good circumstances will never be good enough, and our bad ones, well, they're just bad. But we've got to keep our eyes off our circumstances and glue them to Christ. I'm guilty of not doing that sometimes. But may that be an encouragement to you, a reminder to you, And just another passage here as well, last passage, 1 Timothy 6. Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he says this. He says, But godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let me pray and invite the worship team to come back. 
Lord, we thank you as we just sang that you love us. You love us. That's such a simple, simple song, but a beautiful one. You love us regardless of whatever we go through. And you love us enough to shape us with some of the circumstances you throw our way. And we pray, Lord, that um, whatever we're going through right now, whatever we will go through, that that, um, uh, we would look to you rather than to the circumstances around us. And we would find contentment in knowing you and that we would find contentment in knowing that our identity and our future is wrapped up with you in glory. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your love. And thank you that you gave us an opportunity to, to follow you and to, to put our faith in you and to trust in you and to see, how, to see how you're working and moving in our lives. Amen.